I am on a mission to help organizations drive long-term success and results by implementing an unshakable transformation model. This model puts the employee at the center and works outward to support every aspect of the human experience in the workplace. Welcome to the Human Method Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bond, founder and CEO of the Bond Consulting Group. This podcast is designed to explore incredible guests as experts in a variety of professions and experiences to learn more about the tools that will transform an organization one person at a time. If you are seeking to improve yourself and how you live your life, or an organizational leader seeking to make a larger impact on your company through culture change, then this podcast is for you. If you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can chat with me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. Be sure to subscribe and get easy access to future episodes. Thank you and enjoy today's episode of The Human Method. Well, I hope everyone will join me in welcoming our next guest. He believes in our human capacity to lead with love. His purpose is to create space for awareness and connection through leadership coaching and training with a focus to bring out the best in people. He founded Fresh Perspectives in 2014 and focuses on business leadership coaching and training. He is also the Leadership and Engagement Director at Copper Beach Institute in West Hartford, Connecticut. Peter has a degree in business from the University of Rhode Island, multiple certifications in coaching, leadership, and mindfulness, and has served on various nonprofit boards and is still very involved with the Hartford community. He is a Northwest Connecticut 40 Under 40 winner, one of my dear friends. Please welcome Peter Callahan. Peter, it is so wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Such a pleasure to be with you. Um, I have to share how Peter and I first came into contact. So when I started the Bond Consulting Group, I, I wanted to do some research on an organization that I don't know, would be my competition, if you will, or an organization that had shared values. And it took a while because, as you know, I'm really focused on looking at the whole person in a corporate environment, not just the person as per their roles and responsibilities of the job. And I came across Copper Beach Institute, which it's really quite phenomenal, um, it, it focuses, this, this institute focuses on mindfulness in the workplace. But beyond that, mindfulness at school, they dig into, um, really, actually, they're a catch-all for everything. I mean, they dig into conversations around chronic illness or how to approach implicit bias mindfully. And, and Peter, I mean, I don't think you're going to correct me, but correct me if I'm wrong, you have such an incredible staff. You have psychologists, theologists. Uh, meditation specialists, you have yoga instructors, and it's just an, an amazing dynamic of human beings coming together and focusing on helping people show up to be their best every day. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to get started with an overview of Copper Beach and, and what it's all about. Of course, happy to. Thank you, Megan, and thank you for so many different kind words in there. I First of all, I'm not, you know, competition is an interesting 
is, is an interesting piece, right? Because, I mean, in some ways, you know, we're all competing with each other for attention. And then, but in other ways, and I think really the way we approach uh, this workplace work specifically, I could talk to some of the other things we do, but it's really about collaboration and truly partnership. Like I've, we, we create partners, not clients at Copper Beach anyway. And, and part of that is the nonprofit world. I think part of it is being more of a, of a mindfulness focused and a little less. We certainly do not bring the full expertise that the Bond Consulting Group is able to offer. So I just want to be really clear on that. We're the mindfulness folks and we apply that to all these different areas that you're speaking to. But ultimately, like really, I think reach out to the Bond Consulting Group first and find out if Cotton Beach could be a, a good uh, additional asset as well. Let's well, and that's what, well, and honestly, I mean, I should have, I should have circled back with that because when we connected, so I reached out to Copper Beach, Peter got back to me within less than a week. We were talking, you know, a week after that and yeah, it wasn't competition. It was this intense collaboration. There is so many synchronicities between what you do, what I do. And then there's opportunity for me to tap into your rich resources to, to fill voids that, that I can't serve um, or offer my clients. So I think it's really, really incredible. I, I love this relationship. I love this friendship. Uh, Peter has so much valuable insight, and I'm really excited to dig right in um, and, and bring some of his, his you know, great values to, to the table today. So Peter, I want to get started with this idea of mindfulness. We've thrown it around a few times, and... I think sometimes when things feel like a fad, which mindfulness has become a fad of today, um, when things feel like a fad, we tend to dismiss them as this is only going to last for a period of time. Um, everyone's doing this right now. It's not going to last, so I'm, I'm not even going to you know, tap into that. But in fact, mindfulness has been around for ages. So will you talk to us a little bit about the value of mindfulness in the workplace and in life in general? course, Megan, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. Yeah. And, and for me, I, you know, I just didn't ever think that I'd be talking about mindfulness. I mean, I, you mentioned in my bio, I went to University of Rhode Island or a business degree, really focused on achievement and, you know, these external outward successes and how do I, you know, make everyone impressed in my life at what I've done, you know, having that is more of my focus. So it was an interesting, been an interesting journey. I won't take you through all of it, but but ultimately, I found even after graduating that I wasn't I wasn't feeling fulfilled by my sort of first work out of school. I went into sort of Fortune 500 in the sales avenue and just just had no idea really who I wanted, who I was, who I wanted to be, and certainly what I wanted to be doing with myself. So eventually, I just started reading. That was kind of my my introduction to to all this sort of growth and personal development work, right? It's start, you know, maybe we go to the self-help section first. To me, it was just nonfiction in general. Like, how do I learn more about what other wise humans have found? And and really cutting to the chase in some ways, Megan, what I what I noticed after reading hundreds of these books, and audio, honestly, audio books are what really helped me. So we say reading and people have different levels, but we, you know, we started sharing stories over generations verbally first, right? This was all oratory. So, and I think we're starting to see that more as a culture now that audiobooks, podcasts like this one are being a lot more 
yeah, had a lot more credibility, I think, now, which is great. But and so ultimately, they really changed my life. And mm-hmm. through reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, you know, how to win friends and influence people, then getting into more kind of Eckhart Tolle, spiritual things, Thich Nhat Hanh is a, is a great uh, mindfulness teacher out there. And really, it took me a lot of this reading and all of these different really wise humans and authors and hearing that every religion has these type of kind of contemplative practices built in. So this is, these, are, these are really practices and, and training activities that humans have figured out for thousands of years. There is nothing new. So whether the word mindfulness mm-hmm. sticks around as a trend or not is pretty irrelevant. What's most important to me is are we, are we going to continue to hold this, this awareness that we can exercise our awareness, our attention, that it's possible to train so that we can get to know ourselves better, what's going on for us, and then get to know each other and how to relate to the world a little bit better. Yeah. And again, it took me so many books of reading about these practices until I finally said, well, instead of reading another book, maybe I actually sit down and try this or go go for a walk mindfully or do some mindful, whatever it is, but just start to actually exercise and train rather than just try and learn. We're so cognitive in our culture that really what stood out to me over this last 10 plus years of doing all this work is trying to connect with whatever's below my neck, like really getting in touch with my body so that I can then apply all these incredible things that are in all these books into the world and then start to bring them to others as well, which is really what drives me. I'm glad you brought up that last point about taking action because I was going to ask, what was the trigger for you going from one mindset, super focused on achievement, wanting to please others, to you know reading some books and then suddenly just having this aha moment and shifting in a completely different way. So what activated you to, to say, um, I need to change some of my behaviors? Yeah, great question. And, and ultimately I'm, I'm not sure I've let go of that achievement and that, you know, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm slowly letting, (laughs) letting those pieces go. They still come back up. And I think that one of the key, one of the things that's really helpful for me is knowing we're not, not about getting somewhere and then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be successful, then I'll feel fulfilled, right? And so, you know, there have certainly been moments, so I'm happy to share a couple. Ultimately, though, Megan, it's definitely been this evolution, and I continue Mm -hmm. to take these things in and and learn and change and grow. And for me, it's ultimately a balance of I want to be growing and learning while simultaneously acting and applying, right? Because I don't feel like I'm ever going to get there. There's no... Sometimes I wish that I that I was heading toward that, but I don't think there's this ultimate arrival place that I'm getting to. I think it's just continuing to evolve and be with that. But, you know, a couple of the moments I think they really come to mind, one of which is, is actually in this book by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he was actually quoting uh, another author and psychologist, he's a psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, mm-hmm. who went through um, Auschwitz and a couple other concentration camps during World War II, spent four years in concentration camps, and was just trying to help people survive, understand more of the human condition, survive himself. But he found a lot of meaning, and this is one of the keys, he found a lot of meaning in helping others to try and make it through and survive. So not just, and that to me is one of the keys, if we want to be happy or fulfilled, can we help others be happy and find meaning and success? So anyway, so he was reading, he was telling about Victor's story, and he read this quote I remember it just sort of washed over me as I heard it. And what he said is that between what Victor Frankl said is between stimulus and response, there's a space. 
in that space lies our freedom to choose, which is really where our growth, our agency, our freedom come from. I just remember that sort of washing over me. Wow, so between what happens and how we respond, there is a choice. And, you know, for me, you know, I often sort of speak to, I, I was a pretty angry, unhappy person. I sometimes say I was a recover, I'm a recovering jerk. People <laughs> had a lot of had a lot of anger and judgment, and a lot of it was it's just insecurity of not under like I said before, not really understanding myself, and that's kind of the way it would show up to try and keep me safe. I keep people at a distance. So again, it's been, it's been this process of stripping that back so that I can be open and vulnerable, say something like, "Yeah, I, I do a lot of things that aren't perfect, and I want to keep getting better. I want to hear your feedback. I care about you, whoever the human is that's in front of me or the group." So so this space between stimulus and response, I think it was that muscle, this muscle that we actually exercise in meditation. We strengthen and grow that space, which if, if at some point it can be one breath between what happens and how we react, that could be really huge. So the, the example might be, and it's actually after I, I was listening to this and I pulled over because it was just it was so impactful for me, but I came back out and a couple minutes later, a car came and cut me off and I'm driving on the road. So immediately I'm laying on the horn, flicking this person off. There's no space between the stimulus getting cut off and the response. And, you know, you and I can talk a little bit more about where, where that comes from. And my value of respect and consideration can get me really frustrated sometimes. And and so I learned, like, wow, okay, wow, there's there's going to be some work to do here. So many moments, yeah. Well, and I think it's it's really interesting. You, you've described a lot in there and – it brings me to this this idea that we're so focused on the momentum of life, whether it be this constant ongoing distraction, um, this attachment to our, our phones and our technology, always being on, always expecting the next thing. So of course, we are, we're ready for that to your point, stimulus, response, stimulus, response. It's how we live life. Um, it, and I think that, you know, the notion of mindfulness or whatever we want to call it sounds nice in theory, but it's very hard to effectively say, okay, this thing happened. It really pissed me off. I need to pause and practice awareness and, and, and see it from a different perspective. Um, then to just handle that thing that pissed you off, react and decide, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be mindful later down the road. So how do you plug these practices in um, in a thoughtful way so that you're actually giving yourself space to be objectively aware? In some ways, that's the question right there. <laughs> the well, you don't have the answer? <laughs> <laughs> I have many examples of trying and failing. That is really, yeah. that is really, I can think of, so this morning, I'll give a reference from this morning. So I've got a, a beautiful eight-month-old daughter who's dealing with some internal indigestion stuff i feel like like half of our culture is because we're not sure exactly what's going into our bodies no matter how many organic foods we buy so so I, you know I'm, I'm caring for her i try and get up early in the morning and be with her for a little while while mom gets a little sleep that she didn't get in the middle of the night and um she was just really upset she was having a really tough time and i woke up not in i just i one of the things i always do is i wake up and i just try and check in with, with my mood like, mm -hmm. all right how am i feeling right now how am i doing and just try to be honest with and that, to me, it's one of the hardest pieces. Like, can we really be on it? Let alone, you know, finding, like you said, finding the the awareness to just take that moment and check in. It's, it, to me, it's just, it's this fascinating, like you said, it's, it's easier to do later. Let me do it another time. So yeah. 
So I try and check in with myself first thing. And then as, as we were up hanging out, I'm trying to give her a bottle and do the things we need to do, change diapers and stuff. And she's just really uncomfortable. And for me, it's what I, and so what I really try and do is I was just checking in with myself like, all right, so there's frustration here, which I could easily take out on her being short with her, just moving her from one place to another, not being as gentle and kind as I try to be. But, but I noticed like, wow, all right, this frustration is just because I care about her so much. And it's really hard for me to not be able to take away her pain and make her more comfortable. And this, I'm talking about five, 10 seconds of just like, and I try and feel it in my body. That's one of the things that I think, again, just we live from sort of the neck up. So just trying to check in like, all right. And for me, it was like this tension in my chest. Like I'm feeling this, this constriction, this tension. And I think there's other factors involved, but it feels like, wow, really, I just care so much about her. And it's so frustrating to not feel like I know what to do to help. And any other parents out there have definitely had a similar experience because this is especially part of, let alone a child who can communicate, one who can't communicate. So to me, that's just one of the ways that I try and actualize this. And now for the road rage example, I still have thoughts or physical experiences of frustration when someone does something that I deem to be irrespectful on the road. And yet I no longer put up a finger. I no longer rail on the horn unless it's like a safety moment and that makes sense to do. But I'm able to notice like, wow, here's that frustration. Yep, this is coming up. And what I try and do is just give myself some understanding and compassion, kind of like I've been talking about. Okay, well, I really care about people being respectful of each other understandable that these feelings come up and and then extending the empathy i have no idea what's going on with this person or my daughter like gosh i just really want her to feel okay and i think all humans i don't know of anyone who wakes up like i wonder whose day i can ruin today you know that person or whatever i don't know i don't know how many moments like that we have but just trusting like all right this other human being and this is really just to bring this into the workplace too megan this is really what we can do on a regular basis at work, we all operate and work a little bit differently. And if we can just have this moment of trusting, like, I don't know what's going on with this person, but I, but we're all doing our best to get our needs met, right? To feel seen and heard, to feel like we matter, to contribute, and all the other things that are underneath there. And we're messy and imperfect and really different often, especially when we come from different cultures and different backgrounds. You know, this is part of this huge conversation we're having now. But that difference is scary to us we we get upset sometimes when someone isn't reacting or acting the way we think they should and can we i think so much of this comes back to slowing down like just can we slow down and not constantly be rushing and leaning forward and it's making me curious because i know this is something you really focus on too so if I can just flip the script a little bit let you like respond to what i was just saying but i'm curious too for you yeah like what is what, what is your edge when it comes to just trying to notice when you're you're leaning forward more than it's helpful and just slow yourself down a little bit? Yeah, I think that uh, you mentioned road rage. That's one of my uh, that's one of my ones. Um, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I think that there's two for me, it's it's two levels. So there are um in managing a bad feeling or a reaction, I either direct myself to empathy or I direct myself to another action. Um, mm-hmm. So habit replacement. So with the empathy piece, you know, something that 
I, I really value is I started working the minute I could get my worker's permit signed. Um, and so I was very young when I, when I hit the workforce. And um, yeah. so while I was in high school, I was working at country clubs and I was a cocktail waitress and all kinds of things. And um, one of my earlier jobs was in sales. And I worked at a Macy's department store as a salesperson on the floor. <laughs> and it was so valuable because, you know, especially at that time in life, where you think you know everything and, you know, like a hangnail ruins your day. I, you know, came into work with my attitude thinking I was so cool. And, um, you know, I started interacting with human beings, with our customers. And, you know, I, I often dealt with very frustrating customers and I would want to snap and there would be something in me that would say, no, like you're going to get fired if you snap out of this person. <laughs> um, and I, I, I'd probably show some attitude to be honest, but yeah. not to the point where maybe it was even noticeable. And more often than not, I would say nine times out of 10, something would be revealed in the conversation where I would learn that that person is carrying something that I couldn't even fathom. Um, I, I once had a gentleman who came in and he um, was difficult to work with and I was ready to start showing my attitude, but I decided to ask him a question instead. And the more I learned about him, I realized that his wife had just passed away. So you you truly don't know, to your point, what people are carrying. And so yes. in those moments when I feel like I want to judge or I have expectations of someone else, I always go back to, you don't know what someone's carrying. And then also for my own self, that's so harmful and toxic for us to do to ourselves to basically put our value in the hands of the rest of the world and based yeah. on how people respond to us if they don't live up to our ideations of who they should be then we are let down we have a mm. much better chance of changing ourselves than we do of changing everyone else um yeah. and then when i am in such a place where i can't use empathy where i can't think through things in a, in a cognitive way I, I go to action. So, you know, this morning I was on my spin bike and I was thinking of a meeting that I had yesterday and it did not go well. It was a vendor, just a very frustrating meeting. And I, I felt myself as I was spinning get more and more frustrated and thinking about the text messages or the emails I wanted to send as soon as I got off my bike. And then I thought, I'm already moving. So let me, instead of thinking through this, this emotion or this frustration, I'm going to let it fall into my body as I move. I'm going to sweat it out um, and yeah. see how I feel after the workout. So I just pushed it into my body. I completely focused on the workout itself and the action of, of my movements. And by the time I was finished with spin, I knew exactly what I was to do. And it was to send a really lovely uh, text message to the person. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to have a conversation later today. And it's going to be really productive because I was able to to approach with without that emotion because I pushed it through um, movement. Um, so I think action and empathy for me Beautiful. are the two two key components of yes. moving through frustrating times in life. <laughs> I love that, Megan. Thank you so much. Wow, and it's it's bringing my two practices mm -hmm. that that I think might be helpful for folks. So just to just to bring down a little bit. So like, what what do we do in this? So we we talked about talked about bringing awareness to it. But again, that's super easy to say, and it's not easy to do. So I think it's it's really helpful for each of us to try and operationalize these concepts. And that's 
reading all these many books and learning all this and taking trainings and now giving trainings. Like I'm still, still constantly experimenting with what my, what, how is what I'm doing working for me? That's my favorite coaching question too. Like, how is this, is this useful or how willing am I to try something else? And trying something else is, is hard. It takes more prefrontal cortex brain energy. So we, we need to acknowledge that. And we'll talk about maybe habit formation in a little bit. Yeah. But one simple practice that I love, and you, you mentioned questions. I think questions are super powerful. They also take some courage because in if you're asking an open-ended question, they usually start with the word what or how, and it implies that you don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And it takes courage to be curious. Like, but it's a beautiful first step. And the one I love to ask myself in the instances we're talking about, when judgment can come up and we're feeling disrespected, our values are being upheld, like you said, mm-hmm. is that instead of asking the form of the question, what's wrong with you, right? So in some ways, our mind, when we're getting frustrated or triggered or angry, you know, what's wrong with you? Instead, I try and insert the question, what's going on with you? Or even what has happened to you? to bring you to this place really trusting again that we all are wanting to be happy and to not harm others like that's i think that's the baseline for most human beings and remembering that and coming back to like i wonder what's going on with you just having a little bit of curiosity again takes some courage but that can immediately just putting that into our brain and this is what mindfulness teaches us what, what we put our attention on grows and strengthens neurons that fire together wire together so our more the more we're asking that question the easier it becomes to default to asking that question but it takes time and consistency i'm thinking about getting a tattoo on the back of my hand but what i really do is i'll put like a phone reminder or a post-it note somewhere it can't be one of 400 post-it notes and that's not helpful but finding a way i've used dry erase marker on my mirrors and my even <laughs> even in my pictures around the house so yeah really helpful and then we can talk about the self-compassion break too which i think is the ultimate one for me and i think we can we can relate back to with some with some other situations um but maybe maybe i'll tell this story first megan so there's because i loved your story that you were just telling (laughs) macy's customers like yeah it's just lost so i recently had some work done on my house had some insulation put in and i really got a good vibe from this contractor until his emails (laughs) came in that were half a sentence with what I interpreted as rude language, you know, and like putting things on me and just not a respectful same. It's like a vendor of mine that just is not operating the way I value, just with respect and consideration, taking the time to say, hope we're doing well. How are things going? I really appreciate your business. Simple. Like I'm not asking for a verbose paragraph. So anyway, really quick and brief. So one, I got one of these emails in where he was rescheduling on me again. So I pick up the phone instead of emailing back, I pick up the phone and call him. Call him Steve, not Steve, but Steve. Hey, how, how are you doing? Like, I'm fine. What's going on? I just got your email, and I got to be honest. Like it was a little frustrating for me trying to share my experience. Like it was frustrating for me the the way you worded that. His immediate response on the phone, Megan, was, "What you don't like the way I email?" <laughs> Whoa, Steve. All right. So in that moment, that that was to me because then immediately, right, my cortisol gets released, and I feel myself like, "Ooh, I'm tense now." Here we go. And I just immediately said, all right, and this is this is a chance to breathe. And this is where I think my practice comes in. Because when I start to feel that tension or that activation, that is now a sort of marker for me to reminder to, I need some space. I am not going to be operating from my best self here in this moment. And we could do a little explanation of the neuroscience of the 
helpful later, but just notice I just took basically half a breath. I it's not like I took a 10 second pause awkwardly here, but it was mostly. <laughs> All right, I think I think we need to back up for a second. Like this is like I am your customer, and I am not here to to pick a fight with you. I just want us to operate on a similar level. What's going on with you right now? Like what's happening? So I didn't even respond back to what he said necessarily, like or react to his phrase. I just I was like, All right, let's check in. What's going on? We wound up, you know, having a little bit of back and forth, and then eventually what he wound up telling me is like, yeah, Pete, you know, I'm just having a really tough time. My my, my wife and I are getting divorced and she's trying to take the kids full time and my business is blowing up and I'm spending all this time in. I just don't know what to do. And then he started crying on the phone. Within a, a couple minutes of him yelling at me, he was then crying to me because I was just trying to give him the space to feel and like let clearly there was something else going on here. So it's like he's being rude to me via this email. Meanwhile, he's dealing with all this stuff at home. And then he was very apologetic afterwards, like, sorry, that was really unprofessional. I shouldn't be crying. Or I'm like, I'm so grateful. Like, this is amazing. This is we're just being humans together, man. That's fine. And now makes me want to do business with you even more yeah. rather than putting on this tough professional guys and then being curt and me not feeling like you care about me at all. Now I have more, more details, more understanding of what's happening so I can work with you. And I'm happy to flex and be a company. Like, it's not all about me as the customer. Like, can we in business view each other as human beings? Yeah truly collaborate and try and understand each other sometimes on a team that's going to take hours and hours of one-to-one -one meetings and getting to know each other other times it's a couple open-ended questions and five more minutes that then lead to and then you know he gave me i think you wound up charging me less like you accommodated my schedule better mm -hmm. the ROI of that five minutes for me was was incalculable and yet it feels inefficient often like a waste of time so you know, I love that at first I love that story, but I love that you brought up the ROI um, because I think that's also the thing that that we we can overlook when we get caught up in our lives, which is what is the value? Like, really, at the end of the day, if I show someone empathy versus not, um, is that really going to make a difference? And I think that's our ego talking and questioning um, that at the end of, you know, at the end of the day, I think that we've got to look at what is the ROI of just being human beings and allowing people to be human beings in their interactions at work. Um, I think that's really interesting and I think it's really hard. And I, I love this idea of asking questions because when you ask the right questions of others, you start changing your internal dialogue. You start asking different questions of yourself. And um, a really great example I, I read once in, um, I think it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was instead of looking at a mansion and saying, oh, I can never afford that, look at the mansion and say, okay, how can I afford that? And when you start asking questions in a different way, it does change your life. And it creates, mm -hmm. it manifests, you, you spoke of manifestation, it manifests abundance in your life. You start bringing things in, you start approaching things differently. Um, and I think that that all starts with building the right habits. So I know that you have some really great tools that you use for habit formation. Um, and I want to learn a little bit more about how you establish a winning routine through through your habits. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is a journey marked by failure for me. So I'll start with, you know, or so early on, we were talking, you know, right after college, in my early 20s, I was really trying to to learn about life and what to do. And I, there's just, 
I think one of the things that's helpful too for anyone who's sort of on this journey and is starting to starting to or deep into just opening up to more curiosity, seeing what they might what, what we might be willing to do differently. Like it can be overwhelming out there. I've had so many people come to me like, and just, oh, oh, you're in this world. Like you must know Ram Das. Then like if you're like, no, I haven't heard of Ram Das. Like, oh, you haven't heard of Ram Das? And immediately the imposter syndrome. I feel like my credibility is erased. Like well, if you haven't heard. There are almost 8 billion people on this planet, and thousands of them are brilliant and fascinating, have wonderful things to share, models of how to approach the world. You know, each of us here having this conversation included, and none of us has all the answers. None of us has the right way. And that's, I was always searching for like the best way, the right way to do things. Yeah. And I had this girlfriend, Megan, actually tell me, like, you, it was early on, she said, you become whatever book you're reading. You know, it was just <laughs> sort of lose myself into like, oh, this person must know the way. This is the right way. Like, oh man, it was it was a tough it was a tough journey for a while. And and so I tried to like create this as, as I was learning these things. Like, what's the perfect morning? Like, let me set my day. Yes, up. yes. Just be. <laughs> I don't know. I would love to hear you describe your morning for us because. I never, I, I didn't get to creating what you, what you did for a long time. I, you know, each of ours looked a little bit different, but oh my gosh, like it took me so, so long. And so ultimately after failing with a lot of New Year's resolutions and trying to do these things and, you know, meditation really being the first one, because again, I read all these books and they all had some form of within the book and you can't just read about this. You've got to train yourself. So here are some practices to try. And it always included some form of attention training meditation. Mm-hmm. And it took me so many books. You know what I think? One of the things that actually really did took me, take me to was doing it with other people. I didn't really start practicing alone until I found sort of a, a mentor who helped teach me how to meditate and, and eventually a teacher and some other teacher. And then some friends who were willing to like go to classes with me. And eventually when the apps came out, I had uh, – my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, download actually Headspace with me, mm-hmm. and we started going through it together. And then, even if she would have been flow, I'm a slightly more you know addictive personality, if you will. And I so and there was a streak. So those streaks I actually found super helpful too. And you know I I heard I hear now the younger generation they, they have snapped streaks, and that's really not helpful, right? You've got to get a Snapchat every day, but. For me, this meditation streak was at least, it, well, maybe there's an aspect of unhealthy. I found it really helpful to, like, oh, I did it all week. Oh, but now it's Saturday. I'll wait till Monday or something. Yeah. Well, no, I don't want to. I could I get to six days today. So that was just one little thing that helped me. But um, ultimately, the structure that I found really helpful, what I started to do was just choosing one thing a year. And the, the three steps that I used were having a purpose, making a really small step, and then creating an if then so i'll talk through those for a second but having so having a purpose or a why i love simon sinek's work around start with why if you haven't seen his ted talk check it out it's the golden circle right start with why am i doing this um and so for me you know i had a bunch of different reasons but ultimately i just wanted to to be more effective to get to know myself better to be able to respond instead of react to be less judgmental and yanked around and again this is this is many years ago now still there but much softer right i'm better in some situations so i had this why then i really tried to create the smallest stuff because i was like i'd love to meditate for 15 or 20 minutes every morning like that'd be great and then if i could do that at night too no absolutely not so i put that aside and i just set the simplest like five minutes total per day doesn't even have to be consecutive 
point, I am going to meditate for five minutes a day because I wanted to do a lot more. And this is one of my recommendations always is have a clear purpose, then create this number two is create the smallest step possible, even if it feels somewhat unhelpful, like if it's almost too little, you know, but I think and what research shows is that it's so much more about consistency rather than duration. And then the if then step three, I find super helpful. So it, so you attach the, the idea is to attach your habit to an existing habit. So have your why, make it really small, and then attach it to some other habit. If I do this, then I do that. I, I think that that's really helpful. And I like how you talked about it. It's how you show up. So it's not even how you do the thing. It's how you show up for the thing. And having that intention of showing up, even if you show up and say, okay, I'm not doing it. Because I can tell you 100% of the time when I did not want to get my ass to the gym, but I went, I never left. Even though I promised myself, if you get here and you don't want to work out, you can go home. But you've got to at least drive to the gym. Um, And I, I think another helpful piece, and you called it out, is being able to check it off. So something that I would recommend to our audience is if you aren't someone who um, likes to practice consistency of habit or if it's harder for you, having your weekly checklist of these are the things I want to accomplish and then committing to showing up and, and, and leave it at that. And then as you move through those things, you get to cross them off. And that is such a, a fulfilling moment uh, because we, we live for progress. Progress is what gives us energy and, and makes us feel good. And I think this all, I think, adds up to this bigger purpose or bigger picture of determining what is our purpose. I don't know about you, Peter, but I I still don't know my purpose. I know that what I'm doing feels really good. Um, and I, I don't know if anyone at the end of the day really knows, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is it. So we focus on the things that feel good. We build habits that are a continuation of us feeling good longer term. So it's that delayed gratification rather than these quick fix things that feel good in the moment, but ultimately deteriorate our life experience, our experience as humans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting what you say about purpose. Like I was just, I was just listening to, to some folks on a different podcast recently and they were articulating a really clear purpose. And I've found the way I describe my, because I think we can have like an overall purpose and then a purpose, you know, a purpose or an intention in different areas of life too. But for me, I find it's, it's an evolution. You yes. know, I can describe my purpose right now as yes. bringing love into leadership. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that three years ago and it probably won't be that three years from now. And maybe it will be. I, I find I'm, I'm evolving. I think it's a helpful exercise to check in with what do I feel most what and you know again so many models out there right you've seen maybe the the venn diagram of the overlapping what does the world need what am i great at and what can i get paid for and in the middle is our so there's so many ways to do that but i think the exercise of exploring that reflecting doing some journaling meditating having conversations with other yeah. people who are yeah. interested in growing i think it's just the, those exercising those muscles and and writing things down and continuing to experiment and clarify is is more important than having something solved. Like, I don't think any of this is static. What was that inflection point for you of going from, say, like, I heard part of that evolution talking when at Macy's and understand, but for yourself and deciding, like, I'm going to start to institute 
because you've got a pretty amazing morning routine, but like what helped you really decide to start to, what were the practices or habits or mindsets for you? Yeah. I think that there's a couple pieces. I, I First of all, I've always been really focused on self-development. I, I loved that piece of um, growing up and being able to learn about myself. And as I got older, taking assessments to learn, you know, my personality style. And, and that's where it started. But then I had this, um, this moment where I realized, and I, I don't know what the moment even was. It, I just felt activated one day. And I thought, you know... I have all of these wonderful ideas of who I am, but where am I failing? And then when I started looking at my opportunities and started practicing more of an introspective objective awareness of when I wasn't at my best, uh, one of the things I can remember very clearly, even in middle school, was getting on the bus at the end of the day and sitting in my seat and really thinking, okay, was I the best version of myself today? And I, in middle school, well, but well, I was also very challenging. Ask my mom. I was not a, a walk in the park by any means. Um, but I did a lot of experimentation as far as figuring out, you know, what social groups worked for me, which ones didn't. I think I joined maybe eight or 10 different, different clubs. My, my first year hmm. of high school, um, Great and quickly, quickly yeah. ended up in one, um, which one, where, where did you land? Well, I was a cheerleader, <laughs> Nice. There you go. um, Great. but I mean, I was part of the ski club, the drama club, all these different groups, but I think it, it is constantly this ebb and flow of, for me, there was not one moment. It was it was a lifetime of events and scenarios and situations, opportunities to reflect and say, wow, I handled that really poorly and I don't like how that's making me feel right now upon reflection versus I feel really good. What, what activated me to feel so good? And, yeah. and really, you know, as I've gotten older, one thing I will say, Peter, that I'm really proud of is I've gotten really clear on what I won't tolerate. I think through process of elimination, we're able to carve out the life that is best suited for and most aligned to our values, whether we know our values or not. Uh, value work is hard. That's a whole other podcast. But whether we know our values or not, it, the simple act of saying, this feels good. I'm going to do this more. This feels not so good. And maybe inspecting that a little to understand why. And then being okay with saying, although it looks good on paper, although other people are doing it and like it, this isn't for me and that's okay. We can do things really well. We can't do everything really well. So what are your things? Um, and that's where, I mean, that's where I'm at now. And as you said, it's an evolution. I, I could be answering this question completely differently next year. <laughs> of course. Of course. Oh, I thank you so much. Your, your courage just comes through in this. Since middle school, your courage to, like, I just keep coming back to how hard it is for, for most of us to slow down and reflect mm -hmm. like our culture is just giving us so many messages about just fill yourself up with external things get you know get the good grades get the good you know go to the good college get a good job make lots of money have all the things that make you happy create a have a what you know a family it's all these external pieces that like oh, okay well it's, it feels kind of clear and straightforward in some ways so i think it's it's sort of easy for us to move toward those things one of the things that really inspired me was reading all these books of these super and listening to podcasts, how I built this with Guy Raz, all these super successful people, people who've made unbelievable amounts of money, 
and they're like, yeah, now I decided I I'm going to start doing this reflection thing and checking in with what's important yeah. to me and like drawing boundaries like you just talked about. And so it, it just really, that helped motivate me to be like, all right, I'm not going to only pursue these external. Let me just start to, and, and honestly, if, if we haven't done a lot of this reflection, I think it's really important to tread lightly to like move slowly mm. and again, to have someone else to be in it with you. This is why I love coaching. And I know you're, as, as a consultant, you're also a coach. To be able to not tell someone what to do, but to sit next to each other mm. and explore together with someone else who's on their own journey of, of trying to reflect and understand what it's all about. It's like, no one has all the answers. And, and yet I believe we have a lot of the answers, a lot of the things we're looking for already inside of us like you said like just reflecting on how did this go or how did that go and both what do i want more of and what do i want a little bit less of and just taking one little step at a time one of the things i sort of think of and, and i'll often ask folks megan is are you finding life really easy and mm. and smooth like are things just coming to you gracefully and you're not having a like no we're all struggling <laughs> like and maybe that would apply better in 2019 for some people, but now it's like, no, all of us have, have experienced suffering and deep struggle. Yeah. And so we can keep just letting those struggles come at us, those challenges just fall into our lap and do our best to reactively deal with them. Or we can take at least a little bit of time to struggle intentionally, but it takes some time. You know, it's the African proverb I often come back to is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You're so right. The impact, the powerful impact of of companies, of people, of family units working mm -hmm. together, collaborating. And, you know, I know we're, we're getting close to the end, but I want to add something because you, you gave me an epiphany moment. Um, when you, and it comes full circle, it's an underlying theme in everything you've said today, which is this idea of asking the right questions through seeking to understand rather than trying to reaffirm something that you believe, which is really delusional because we're telling ourselves a story when we do that. Um, sitting beside someone and, and bringing the answers out of them, it really gave me this, this thought that, you know, that's the value of the question. And that's how as a coach, as a therapist, whatever the role, um, when we are trying to help somebody, if we try to enforce or inflict our life experiences and what our version of a solution would be, thus our story, on them, then we are, I mean, I almost think that that's just so toxic because we are pushing someone in a direction to interact with life in a way that's not authentic to them. So yes. by asking questions, seeking to understand, we're shedding curiosity. Let's use light as, as curiosity, we're shedding light on that person to actually go deep within themselves to reveal the answers that, that are going to make sense to them so that they can be better um, through themselves. They can self-heal through a line of questioning. Um, yes. And I think that's and really you, fascinating. Thank you. Yes. And even if that doesn't work out, at least it came from ourselves. And it's again, it's an experimentation, experimentation. We're testing it out as opposed to again, becoming the book that I'm reading now or just following yeah. this exact model to a T to, and that's where, you know, I love the, the way, the way the bond consulting group really approaches this like collaborative, you have a structure and models and things you could do, but you're not just going to dive in and prescribe these things without it really being there being a discovery process, a, 
building relationship, understanding where we are, what we want and who we are. And like, it takes a little bit more time. I could not trust the ROI, the return on investment more though. Peter, thank you for joining us today. This was so special. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Method Podcast. I am Megan Bond, and if you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can reach me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. I also want to thank Ayla Zimmerman for design and promotion of not just the human method, but our Bond Consulting Group site as well. She is a kick-ass designer, so please check out our site at thebondconsultinggroup.com. Sign up for our newsletter so that you can receive great content from us. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme for the show, as always, is to be a little bit better each day. So remember, be better today.